chapter 1 John, we learn that John's concern is that he wants Christians to be aware and to know and to be certain of the fact that they are indeed in fellowship with both the apostolic witness and therefore with the triune God. So the goal is not that you can know, that you can be sure that your card is punched and your get out of your get out of hell free card is securely in your pocket. But rather, the question that John wants to help us answer is: Am I living in fellowship with God through the apostolic testimony? I cannot have fellowship with God apart from the apostolic testimony, as we're going to see this morning. So, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father, now we take these few moments and we give them to you. We pray as we think about this most basic Christian confession and then how it ought to impact how we live. Father, we pray that you would bless our time. We ask that your spirit would be present in the preaching of your word this day. It would be, uh, Father, both for our growth and for our edification, but also to bring glory to your great name. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Frank Tupper was my first professor of theology in seminary. Frank is a Mississippi native, and he looked dead up like Conway Twitty's twin brother. Big hair, lamb chop sideburns, you name it, he was a Conway Twitty doppelganger. He was also a very passionate lecturer. Frank would stand up on top of a desk and compel people, and he would gesture madly and wildly. My favorite was when he would open the door into the hallway in the classroom, and he would stand in the doorway like this, and he would argue with someone out in the hallway, but there was never anyone out in the hallway. Frank was very energetic. He was a wonderful lecturer, and to this day, I hold him in very high esteem. In fact, Uh, If you go to our home in the basement, to the desk that I use at home, uh, his picture, there's a picture of him lecturing, big hair, big sideburns, doing this. It still sits on my desk. And I hold him in high esteem, even though we disagreed on just about everything. That's bound to happen when one of you holds to the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible, and one of you does not. However, the greatest lesson I learned from Frank Tupper was that theology is about life. If we would live faithful lives, then we must do the work of thinking through what the Bible teaches us and then order our lives accordingly. 
Or as R.C. Sproul reminds us in the title of his wonderful little book, Everyone's a Theologian. John understands this. And so he begins our text this morning with a most basic Christian confession. And he does it because what's happening in the churches to whom John is writing is that there is bad confession, bad theology that has entered the church. And if the confessional theology is off, then after a season, the practical theology will be off as well. So John, having set forth this basic confession in John chapter 1, verse 5, gives us a, a series of three unorthodox, really bad, you shouldn't think this, statements that are being made by false teachers. The first one is found in verse 6, and it deals with Christian conduct. The second is found in verse 8, and it addresses our very nature as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. The third and final is found in chapter 2, and we're going to give attention to that one next Sunday. Now, having exposed the erroneous teaching, John tells us what we ought to believe and how we ought to live, and makes it clear in each instance that our hope, as we have already sung, our hope is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, if you'll open your bulletin to page 5, you'll see an outline for our time together. And in the outline, you see something called the big idea. And our big idea, which in one sentence, hopefully, is what the sermon is about, is this. Christian confession ought to drive Christian practice. Christian confession ought to drive Christian practice. Now, let me say this by way of introduction, and this didn't necessarily make the sermon, but it's going to make the sermon. When there is space between what we confess and how we live, the term for that is hypocrisy. And what we very much do not want to be as Jesus followers is we don't want to be hypocrites. Now, until either Jesus comes again or until we die and meet Jesus, there will always be a gap between our practice and our confession. We're human beings. We're finite. We're fallible. We will never be perfect until we are translated into eternity and into glory. So let's look. Two points we have this morning. The first one is this. Uh, let's look at what is our confession. Let's look at what is our confession. Verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now again, let's understand. John's uh, task, John's message, the thing that John is trying to get across in the book of 1 John is to make sure that Christians really and truly have fellowship with the triune God. That they don't just say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but live lives in such a way that belie that particular statement. And so John makes it clear that the message, and that's the link to the section before, he's talking about the message that he's been proclaiming to them. The message is not one that they created, rather they received it from God himself. They received it from Jesus. 
And having received it, they don't just hoard it, rather they proclaim it. Now, please understand, it is the apostolic proclamation that gives us fellowship with God. Or let's put it this way. We find fellowship with God through this book, period. Full stop. We will never have fellowship with God apart from how he has revealed himself in and through his word. Yes, nature is beautiful. Yes, there are things that we can know and see about God that are evident in nature. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 1. But we are always prone to draw the wrong conclusion when we look at these things. We need the apostolic witness to save us from ourselves. We need the apostolic witness to tell us the truth. And here is the truth. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So what does it mean when John says that God is light? Well, clearly, this is religious symbolism. And in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of light, it uses it symbolically in two ways. It can be used to refer to good and evil. Those of you who are Star Wars fans know <coughs> there's a reason the Sith follow the dark side of the Force. It's also used, though, in terms of truth over and against ignorance or error or falsehood. So when John says God is light, what he's saying is this, God is wholly good and God is wholly true. Not that God is a light, not that God is one light among many, God is light, just as he is love and spirit and consuming fire. In other words, God is the very definition of those things. We know what goodness and truth are only because God reveals himself in our world. We know what love is only because God reveals himself in our world. Now, as we think about this, it may be helpful to contrast the view of God that John is giving his listeners with the view that their neighbors who worshipped Roman and Greek gods would have held. You see, Roman and Greek gods and goddesses were very much a mixed bag. They were capable of both good and evil. They were ignorant at times of some human events. They were ignorant of the machinations of their fellow deities. There were days in which, for example, Zeus didn't know what Poseidon was up to. They made mistakes. They told lies to achieve the ends that they wanted to accomplish. In other words, the gods worshipped by the neighbors of the Christians to whom John is writing we're like human beings, but more so. They were more powerful. They were a little more informed. But they were not light. They were not good. 
they were not true. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, please understand that whatever conception of God you've created for yourself, it's probably wrong. When we create gods for ourselves, and human history teaches us this, when we create gods for ourselves, they tend to be like us, but more so. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is goodness and truth personified. In fact, if the God of the Bible was not a God who revealed himself to his creation, we wouldn't know what goodness and truth are. He is light. In him is no darkness at all. Well, starting with that basic confession, John then moves to the first of the two uh, ideas that are being set forth by the false teachers, and they're really bad ideas, and they're ideas that we need to be mindful of because we need to not do that. We need to not think this way. So here's the first idea, and John gives it to us in if-then statements. If we say that we have fellowship with him being God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So the false teachers are those who are walking in ways that are evil or ignorant or untrue or erroneous, and yet they claim to have fellowship with God. Now, please understand, it's not that these guys were necessarily charlatans. It's not that they were out and out simply trying to be really evil and deceitful. But some of this is, is simply a product of human nature. As sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, we are always going to have ideas that are imperfect. We can hold them very sincerely, but they're going to be imperfect. And so one of the lessons we're going to learn in 1 John is that whatever ideas, whatever conceptions, whatever it is that we want to proclaim or teach or believe, we need to always be weighing it in light of what, what God's word teaches us. It's not enough that I believe something with my whole heart. I can believe something with my whole heart and be wholeheartedly wrong. Rather, we're called to measure what it is that we hold to, what it is that we believe in light of the scriptures. And so the false teachers, in essence, are saying they're trying to redefine what fellowship with God is going to look like. Hey, I've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. I can live however I want. We hear that sometimes still. Pastor, I, I live a grace-filled life, not a life of works righteousness. Well, okay, the Bible's pretty clear. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by our works. And yet, John here says to us that we are to walk in the light. We are to walk in truth. We are to walk in goodness. That is our call as Christians. We need to understand 
And sometimes we're, we're very good at confusing this. Uh, we don't set the terms of fellowship with God. Let me say that again. We don't set the terms of fellowship with God. God sets the terms of how we fellowship and relate to him. And God calls us to walk in the light. He calls us to walk in his presence, which means, and I love this quote from John Stott, he says, we have to be given to absolute sincerity, to have nothing to conceal, and to make no attempt to conceal anything. Let me read that again. We are to walk in absolute sincerity, to have nothing to conceal, and to make no attempt to conceal anything. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that this week, I went, because oh. that's the problem, isn't it? We are really good at thinking we can hide from God. We're really good at thinking that God does not know the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We're really good at thinking that we are particularly sneaky and we can pull things over on God. Now, please understand, hiding from God is nothing new. In fact, in the text that Jeff read for us this morning, at the very beginning of the book, we see our first parents hiding from God. Not once, but twice. Moses reminds us that Adam's response to his sin and to hearing God, to knowing that God was coming for the purpose of his enjoying his presence and having fellowship with him, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. They hide. We know when we sin. We know that we're operating in darkness. And instead of moving into the light, I don't know about you, but at times what I find myself doing is I step a little further back into the shadows. And then I step a little further back. And now if I step further back, I'm going to fall over. But that's what we do. So how do we live in a way that's differently? How can we walk in the light? How can we give up the hiding and self-cloaking of our sin? How can we give up the self-deception of this? Look at the very last phrase in verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Why can we walk in light? We can walk in the light because the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has been applied to our lives by the Spirit of God. So when we sin, as we're going to see, it's something we do, when that happens, instead of thinking that we can walk in the darkness, no, John tells us we need to step in the light. And we can step in the light, we can have fellowship with God, not because we haven't done anything, not because we're really good at hiding our mess. No, we can do it because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I love what we sang this morning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, if we're going to live the if-then life, if we're going to have fellowship with God, we have to understand we need to stop hiding and instead look to the shed and cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second really bad idea that the false teachers have relates to sin. And it's so bad, their shtick is so pernicious that John gives it to us twice. He tells us in verse 8, if I say, if we say, we have no sin. And then again in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned. Now let's understand the distinction between the two things. When I say I have no sin, I'm saying, hey, my nature is not what the Bible tells me that it is. The Bible makes it very clear, uh, David, uh, pointedly in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. We are sinners by nature. Because we are sinners, we sin. That's what verse 10 is about. Verse 8 is about our nature. Verse 10 is about our thoughts, our actions, our deeds. If we try to deny that we don't have a sin nature, or if we try to deny that our thoughts, our actions, or our deeds are never in any way contrary to God's word or God's will, that's what the false teachers are trying to proclaim. That's what they're trying to teach. Now, I love how just to the point John is in confronting this. So uh, note in verse, uh, <laughs> verse 8, if he says we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Other than that, you're doing great. So if you're here this morning, you think, oh, hey, I'm not a sinner. <laughs> well, you're lying to yourself and the truth is not in you. But that's not enough. He says, if furthermore, if you say that you haven't sinned, look at verse 10, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. So again, to summarize, if you're thinking you don't have a sin nature and you haven't sinned, then you're deceived, you don't know the truth, you're calling God a liar and you don't know God's word. But again, other than that, you're golden. You're great. You're killing it. Sort of like calling for an onside kick in the third quarter when you're up by 11 points. Fantastic. Now, I want us to sort of bear that in mind. The next time someone tells you or the next time you're tempted to think, you know, I, I think human beings are basically good. Huh. 
Okay. Now, you don't have to come right out and say, well, you just need to know you're deceived, you don't know the truth, you're calling God a liar, and you don't know his word. You can be a little more gracious than that, probably. But when you hear someone say that, there should be alarm bells going off in your head. There should be sirens and flashing lights. This is a really bad idea. John says, instead of denying our nature, instead of denying our thoughts, our words, our actions, our deeds, he says to us in verse 9, we should be those who confess our sin. Fellowship with God means that we are people who confess. It means that we are much given to repentance. It means that we remember the words of Martin Luther when Luther said, I'm convinced that the first the second and the last part of the Christian life is repentance, repentance, and repentance. We're not those who deny our sin and continue to step back into the shadows. We admit it. And when we admit it, we're told that God is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, he's already told us that we're cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we confess our sin, we admit it, we repent of it, and we turn away from it, and we turn to Jesus. We trust in what he's done. Not in what we've done, because what we've done is make a complete mess of it. No, we trust in what he has done. For we're told in verse 9 that our God is faithful and he is just. Now, when the Bible speaks of God being faithful, typically it's in the context of a covenant. It's in the Old Testament, it's the word hesed. God practices covenant faithfulness. So in the promise that God made to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, that there was coming an offspring of the woman who would then crush the head of the serpent, we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is God keeping his covenant promise. That we can have fellowship with God because in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God is keeping his covenant promises. He's being faithful. That part is easier to grasp than the idea that when I completely make a mess of it, when I completely, when I, when I just uh, shake my fist at God and do exactly the opposite of what I know I ought to do, that when that happens, God is just in forgiving me. See, that doesn't sound like justice. That sounds like bad parenting. Oh, that's okay. Do it. Oh, you hit your sister. That's fine. Oh, you stapled your little brother's head to the carpet. Not a problem. How can God's forgiveness be just? Now, we're going to see this next week. Because John uses a beautiful and loaded $3 word. 
that helps us to understand how it is that God is both faithful and just. But here's the short answer. God's forgiveness is just because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paid our penalty. Jesus took our place. The wrath of God was poured out, but not on you or I. No, the wrath of God was poured out on His Son. God is faithful because He sends His Son and He keeps His covenant promises. God is just because He pours out His righteous wrath on sin, not on you and I, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, as we come to the table, we see both God's faithfulness and His justice. It's a picture of both. It's a picture that reminds us that God does indeed keep His word. That in the new covenant that Christ initiates, God would send His Spirit to indwell His people. That in the very sending of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is keeping His covenant promises, not just the promises that He makes to Adam and Eve and to Abraham and through the law. No, God is keeping a promise God makes to Himself in eternity. But we also see His justice. For the table, we're reminded that the body of Christ was broken and the blood of Christ was shed. And Jesus endured the wrath of God, not for his own sin, but for ours. Friends, it is that confession that ought to drive our practice. Let's pray. Father, we bless you that you are a God who is both faithful and just. And we pray your forgiveness. Uh, Father, it would be funny if it wasn't so hurtful. We like to live in the dark. We like to think the ways in which uh, we are not walking in the light. We're not walking in fellowship with you and with the apostolic testimony. Father, we, we like to think that in some way we're being sneaky. or we're being original, or that somehow you don't know what's going on. But Father, the most stunning thing of all is you know what's going on and you love us anyway. Lord, we pray that by your grace and for your glory, we would walk in the light. We pray that we would be a people who are marked by confession and repentance. And we pray that we would be those who would fly to that fountain. That, Father, we would understand it's only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are cleansed and that you are both faithful and just to us, your people. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.